Well, we are on, a thres on the threshold of 2023, and as we be begin to walk into this year, uh, I think it's of great importance for us to be reminded of who we are and why we are here. Uh, we are the church of Christ. We are the disciples of Christ. We are the servants of Christ. We are the ambassadors of Christ. The church is made up of born-again believers in Jesus Christ, born again by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ at the hearing of the gospel proclaimed. Now, we at Grace Bible Fellowship, we have a vision, Christ to all and all mature in Christ. It's really a summarized statement of our vision verse which is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. So please turn to Colossians, if you like. Um, Colossians 1, uh, verse 28 reads, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Uh, I have to say that is a great vision statement. Uh, for it provides us with clear direction and a clear goal for our existence. It describes to us what we value and what we aspire to. And we value Jesus Christ. We value the person and the work of Christ. He is our Savior, our Lord, our King, our God. And so we aspire to make Him known, proclaiming Him, admonishing and teaching Christ. And so we preach Christ to the lost so that sinners can be saved by Christ. And we preach Christ to the saved so that the saved may be conformed to His likeness. Christ to all and all mature in Christ. And people, as you know, we need Christ. And the world needs Christ. And that is why I believe the Lord has left us here. It may sound hard, but I don't mean it in a bad way. But He has ordained that once we are saved, that we are not yanked up to heaven immediately. But we are left here so that we would know our need of Him and also to proclaim Him to those who don't yet know of their need of Him. And so the, the reason and motivation for us to proclaim Christ is Christ Himself. The reason and motivation to, to be perfected, to be made mature in Him, is Christ Himself. And so at the beginning of, of the year, let, uh, let us illuminate our minds to the wonders of Christ. How? Well, through the knowledge of His person. Let us fan into flame our hearts for Him by the love of Christ, by the knowledge of His work on the cross. And let us uh, yoke our desires and captivate our will to the purposes of Christ. That is through the knowledge of His will, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of, of the truth, as 1 Timothy 2.4 reminds us. And I can think of no better passage that than Colossians, our, our very 
vision verse and, and, and the verses preceding that to help us look up and behold Christ uh, so that we can preach Christ, proclaim Him. So if you are not already there, please uh, go to Colossians chapter 1 and I will be reading from verse, verse 15. Although I mean, that whole preceding passage is, is such a rich um, in, 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 uh, in giving us hope. Uh, verse 13 says that God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Then verse 15 says, describe who this Son is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and, which, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions." Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I may fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." And we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the ministry of Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for Your Spirit that illuminates our minds to your word and apply to our hearts, Lord. You, you ignite our hearts. You connect it to our faith, Lord. You stir our wills. You excite our emotions, Lord, so that we would be willing and able by your power to obey your word. And so, Father, this morning as we come... I pray that you would uh, remove all distraction, 
or thoughts that would uh, impose themselves on us that is not related to the Word this morning. And help us to receive what you have for us, I pray uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, and you have probably have noticed that we are not in Matthew and going through the, through the preaching of, of, of that wonderful gospel, but we are here in Colossians. And as you uh, may have noticed that every year at the beginning of the year, I preach a sort of a little theme series. Uh, last year it was to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And this year, from verse 15 through to, to 29, I want to preach a series called We Proclaim Christ. That is the theme for us for this year, uh, that we would proclaim Him. And, and, and I want us this morning to behold Him. I want Christ to be lifted up before us this morning and to point out His absolute supremacy, His matchless, peerless preeminence, His marvelous and wonderful works of creation and redemption. Christ is whom we proclaim. Christ as Lord of all. Christ as Lord over creation. Christ as Lord over the church. And the supremacy and, and eminence, preeminence of Christ over both creation and the church uh, is seen in these first few verses, verses 15 to 20, as we see a number of parallels drawn by Paul between his supremacy and preeminence over creation as well as over the church. We see in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. And verse 20, that in him the fullness of of God dwells when he talks about, about reconciliation. He is the firstborn of creation, verse 15, and he's also the firstborn of the dead, verse 18. He is the Lord of creation, verse, verse, verse uh, 15 and 16, uh, and he is the head, the Lord of the church, verse 18. He is the creator of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, verse 16, and he is the reconciler of all things in heaven and earth, in verse 20. Jesus, our Lord, is magnificent. He is majestic. He is great and glorious. Superlative, supreme, superior. He is matchless, peerless. He is incomparable, unrivaled, unsurpassed. He is Lord and He is God. And people, the Bible proclaimed Jesus is Lord of all. And the early church proclaimed Jesus is Lord of all. And it's now incumbent upon us at this time, in this generation, in this place, to proclaim Jesus is Lord of all. For if He's not Lord of all, He is not really Lord of all at all. But our passage today, we see that Jesus is Lord of all. He is Lord of creation and He is Lord of the church. And so let's look at that. Jesus, Lord of creation, verses 15 to 17. First, we see that He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God, is what that means. We proclaim Jesus to be God. He is the image of the invisible God. And the Old Testament and the New Testament is very clear that God is invisible. And no one has seen God. And yet the Apostle John, 
in his gospel affirms, first of all, this truth that no one has seen God at any time. But then he goes on and explains that Jesus, the only Son of God, who is by the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus himself testified that he and the Father is one and that if you've seen him, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Not merely because he came and took on flesh and therefore as a man he was made in the image of God. But no, far more than that, he is the image of God because he is God incarnate. God in human flesh. Emmanuel, God among us. He is literally the image of God. And like, like an image of a monarch stamped on a coin or painted in a portrait that represents the, the characteristics and the nature of that monarch, so Jesus represents the nature and character of the invisible God. In fact, Hebrews 1 verse 3 sort of reads to us, He is the radiance of God's glory. That is the shiniest, most brightest manifestation of God's glory. And He is the exact representation of His nature. Really, Jesus made the invisible God visible, revealing the essence of God, the substance of God. But not only that, as if that is not enough, Jesus, as the image of God, the perfect representation of Him, His nature and character, and because He's such a perfect representation of it, and because He is God in the flesh, that image of God actually means He manifests God's presence wherever He went. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. His presence means God's presence. And so Jesus, the image of God, is the exact representation of God's nature and character, His essence and substance, and as such, His manifest presence. This is who we proclaim. Jesus as Lord. Jesus as God. And therefore, not as the archangel of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Therefore, not the brother of Lucifer, born from a heavenly mother, as the Mormons would claim. Therefore, not just another prophet, as the Muslims would claim. Therefore, not just a good man or an excellent teacher, as the moral atheists or the agnostics would propose. No, we proclaim Christ as God. Jesus as God in the flesh. In Him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Chapter 2, verse 9 of the same book. He is God and therefore is worthy of all our worship, all our obedience, all our service. We proclaim Jesus, Lord of all, Lord over creation, as God. And we proclaim Jesus, furthermore, as supreme and preeminent. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The phrase in isolation may lead some to conclude that, that Christ was included among the created beings and, and simply being the eldest of the created order. 
However, the context makes it absolutely clear that he is the one through whom creation came into being. And so, just apart from the contextual evidence, which is very strong, that Jesus is not a created being, but actually the creator, the meaning and use of the word firstborn can be, mean, can be understood to mean first child, but it is often used, or was often used in ancient times to mean first in rank or honor. For instance, the Torah, the first five books of, of the Bible, of the first five book of Moses, was called sometimes by the rabbis referred to as the firstborn, uh, as the most prominent, the, the preeminent, the first uh, uh, scripture that has been revealed by God. Israel, as a nation, is called a firstborn of God because of their distinction and because of their status, because of their priority and their preeminence before God. Exodus 4 tells us that Israel is my, my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And then, of course, this term firstborn was also used to describe the Messiah. In Psalm 89 verse 27, we read, I also shall make him my firstborn. Him here refers to the Messiah, the highest of the kings of the earth. And so the term firstborn really became a recognized title of the Messiah. <clears throat> so the word firstborn really shows Jesus' priority to all Christ's creation. It declares His absolute preeminence, His total supremacy. Jesus, the firstborn of creation, means Jesus is the sovereign, eternal Lord of creation. He is pre-existing to creation. He is sovereign over creation. And so, let us honor Jesus as Lord, as supreme, as preeminent, as eternal, as exalted, as elevated, worthy of the highest honor. Let us proclaim Him as such. Jesus is not a created being. He is the Creator. And to deny creation by Jesus is to slander Him is to dishonor Him, is to disrespect Him. Jesus is God, Jesus is supreme and preeminent, Jesus is the sovereign creator. Verse 16, for all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, for by Him, sorry, all things were created both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus is sovereign over creation. Why? Because He created it. It's His creation. The earth is the Lord, and all it contains, the world and all who dwells in it. He made it, and therefore He rules over it. He is the sovereign creator. Creation was by Him, verse 16 says. That word can also be translated in Him. All things were created in reference to Christ. As John 1, verse uh, 1 to 3 tells us. Both the physical and the spiritual, the visible and the invisible, heavens and, and the earth, but also 
the spiritual world, spiritual world that consists of myriads upon myriads of unseen spiritual beings, angels, all created beings and every created order came into existence in Christ, by Christ. Thrones, rulers, powers, authorities would include every position of authority and power in this life, in this world, but also in the unseen world, in the spiritual world. And I believe this is actually a, a reference to a spiritual hierarchy that exists in the unseen world. Uh, one of the heresies that the Colossians uh, church faced uh, was a Gnostic belief of angels, that, that they were emanations of God and, and there was a hierarchy of them. And so in chapter 2, verse 18, we read that some of them practiced the worship of angels. Uh, and Paul really confirms here a hierarchy of spiritual being. But above all of them is Christ. He is the one who created them, and He is sovereign over them. As Calvin said, even the devil is God's devil. He created him. And Christ is placed over all to rule over them and exercise authority over them, as Ephesians 1, 20-22 tells us. Verse 16, verse B con uh, continues, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Genesis teaches us that God spoke creation into existence, which means creation came into existence by Jesus Christ as He spoke, as through Him that it came into existence and continue in existence and exist for His glory. Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us that the heavens declare the, God, the glory of God. And so if we just look up at the expanse of heaven, and if you, with the help nowadays of the Hubble telescope, and I'm sure there are probably more powerful telescopes now up there, we marvel at the billions of galaxies that's out there, ones that we have never even knew existed. Christ made those. He spoke them into existence. And then let's dive the other way. We'll take a, an electron microscope and we dive into the unseen world of the microscopic and marvel at the most amazing complexities that's found in an organic cell, for instance. Incredible detail. Christ made that. He spoke that into existence. And when we marvel at that, then we glorify Him. Then we glorify Him. We worship Him for His creative wisdom. Verse 17 tells us that He is before all things and in Him all things altogether. Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. He is self-existent as that statement affirms. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He existed before the act of creation. He is eternally God. And He exhibits His omnipotence. Omnipotence that is only true, a characteristic only true of God in sustaining creation. Everything around us 
is sustained by Christ. The chair that you sit on at this moment is sustained by Christ. The building that we meet in is sustained by Christ. Every molecule is sustained by Christ. That's why the, the electrons, the negatively charged particles in an atom, does not implode upon the protons which make up the core of an atom. Or that the positive particles of an atom which is in close proximity don't explode as they repel each other. The scientist says there is an invisible force holding this atom together. People, that invisible force has a name. His name is Jesus. He holds all things together. And the day that he stops doing that is the day of the Lord. Is the fearful day of judgment of which Peter 2 or 2 Peter 3 verse 10 tells us, when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all of creation. Therefore, it all belongs to Him, and He is sovereign over it. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world, and all those who dwell in it. However, we also know that sin has entered this creation, resulting in rebellion, hostility, death, disease. The world is currently the domain of darkness, as we've just read in verse 30. Satan offered this world to Jesus in tempting him that I will give you all of this if you bypass the cross. This world is under the spell of an evil ruler. John 12, 31 tells us. And Ephesians 6, 12 reminds us that our believers, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But Christ triumphed over them all on the cross, Colossians 2.15. He defeated the prince of darkness. He reconciled the world to himself through the cross. And it is important for us to note and to understand that Jesus did not come and take something that was not his. He only took back possession of what rightfully belongs to Him. He made it. It is His. And He is reasserting His sovereign claim on what is rightfully His. And that, I think, is the main point that Paul is making here in emphasizing Jesus as the creator and sustainer of all things because He made it all. It is His and He sustains it all and He will continue to sustain it until His redemptive plan and purposes have been fulfilled in the life of those who have been chosen before the foundation of the earth. And then the end will come. And so Jesus as creator 
is closely associated with Jesus as Redeemer. To deny Jesus as God of creation is to deny the redemptive consequences of His death, of His coming. Why would He need to come to redeem that is His if He didn't make it? If it just happened to come into existence. And so let us proclaim Jesus as Creator, as supreme and preeminent, as God this year to ourselves and to others. And secondly, let us proclaim Jesus as Lord of the church. Verse 18 says, He is the also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. We may proclaim Him, oh sorry, when we proclaim Him, when we proclaim Christ, we proclaim His headship over the church, His Lordship over the church. He is the head of the church. That's a, he's the head of the body. That is a very rich metaphor that really describes to us the intimate and vital connection that exists between Christ and His church. It also describes to us the, the, the lordship of Christ, that He rules and reigns over His church. I mean, the church, His body, is, is a new creation made up of new creatures. For those who are in Christ Jesus are new creation, new creatures. The redeemed, those who become part of His body through the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit, the moment they believe that He is their Savior and their Lord. They are baptized into His body. The church was created on the day of Pentecost when the Lord baptized believers through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the church consists of both Jews and Gentiles, united into the one new man, namely Christ, as Ephesians 2.15 tells us. The church was called the mystery of God, a revelation not known to men in previous generations, but now have been revealed to the apostles and subsequent to us. Now Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and He is intimately connected with His church. He is what some describe as the organic head of the church. That is because He is the one who causes the church to live and to grow. Colossians 2.19 says, It is the head, that is Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So Jesus is not merely a part of the body. He permeates the body. The whole body is Christ. As each believer is united to Him through the Spirit of God. So each member individually belongs to Him and collectively He is, it is His body. We represent Him. 
We are His body. And so when we proclaim Christ as Lord of the church, we proclaim Him as head of the body. We proclaim Him as the organic head, our intimate and vital union with Him. That means that we proclaim, we admonish, we teach all men with all wisdom that there is a precious, supernatural, vital, mysterious union that exists between Christ and the believer, between the head and the members of His body through the Spirit. He is the vine, we are the branches. Another rich metaphor that's helpful in describing this union, this, this, this vital, organic union between Christ and His church. Without us abiding in Him and He in us, we can do nothing. We will bear no spiritual fruit. And so, proclaiming Christ as Lord, as head of the church, as organic head of the church, means we proclaim, we admonish, we teach that we should be mindful of each other. That we should take care of one another. That we should love one another. That we should serve one another with the gifts given us by the Spirit. That means that we proclaim that we are not independent, that we are interdependent, that we belong to one another, that we need each other to function as the body of Christ for His glory and for our common good, as Corinthians 12 tells us. It also means that we need each other to grow and to mature into Christ, into the fullness of Christ. As we exercise our gifts, we equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we will attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God so that we would mature to the measure and the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's really what Ephesians 4 tells us. Ephesians 4 verse 11 to 16 tells us, And he gave some uh, as apostles, this is Christ giving to his church, apostles, some prophets, other evangelists, some pastor teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. For from the, from the whole body being knitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so for us to proclaim Christ as head of the church, the organic head of the church, we de declare that we are in union with Him, that we have a special, marvelous uh, connection with Christ, spiritual, supernatural 
mysterious union that we need to take care of one another because we are dependent on one another to grow in Him, to grow into Christ-likeness, to mature in Him. And it also means that in proclaiming the organic headship of Christ over the body, that we need to admonish one another and teach one another with all wisdom, that we would be very careful in how we treat one another how we treat the church, His people, His body. Matthew 18.10 says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus was explaining there that angels who are ministering serv uh, servants, uh, ministering spirits, as Hebrews remind us, that they look intently at the face of the Father to see that if anything happens to one of His children, just to see if there's the slightest indication that they need to go and help, they need to go and protect. We need to be very careful in how we treat one another. Saul of Tarsus discovered this on the road of Damascus when he realized that when you raise your hand against the body of Christ, you raise your hand against Christ. Acts 9. And he goes on and he explains in 1 Corinthians 3 that any man who seeks to destroy the church, God will destroy him in 1 Corinthians 3.17. So we proclaim Christ as head over the church, the organic head of the church, but also the ruling head of the church. For he exercises supreme authority over the church. Ephesians 1 verse 20 to 23. All things have been put under his feet and he is given as head over all things, that is all things in all of creation, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is Lord of the church. He alone is sovereign over the church. No man, no king, no governor, no pope can take that place. He is the one who builds his church, Matthew 16. He is the foundation on which she is built. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, Ephesians 2, 1 Peter 2, just references everywhere to that. And he, is, he has absolute authority over her. He is her sovereign in rule, in practice, and in shepherding. He is her good shepherd. He is her chief shepherd. He is her great shepherd. He is the one who calls his people, who leads his people, who guides his people, who provides for his people, and to protect his people. And so, when we proclaim Christ as Lord of all, Lord of the church, we admonish, we teach in all wisdom that Christ is head of the church. And we look to Him for our direction and our guidance. We bow to Him alone. We follow Him alone. We answer ultimately to Him alone. He is the one who is our Lord. We are but His subjects. His slaves. We serve Him. We serve His plans and His purposes. 
He is our master. He is our teacher. We are His disciples, His followers. We take His yoke upon us and we learn from Him. Scripture is His word, His will and His ways revealed to us. And as we listen to that, as we study that, as we obey it, then we grow in the knowledge of Him and learn what is His will and His ways for us. To proclaim Jesus as Lord of the church means we submit to Him, obey His word in all things, because He is Lord of all. He continues, he says, He is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. We've seen this term before in verse 15, where the meaning was first in rank. Now, I believe that is the same meaning here. Paul was not saying that Jesus was the first man ever to be raised from the dead. He was not. But he was the most important man ever raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection, without his resurrection, there could be no resurrection of anyone else. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of all who believed in him for the salvation of the souls. And because He is risen, He has risen up with a resurrected, glorified body. Therefore, we who believe in Him will also be raised up to life. Jesus chose, who is Lord of all, chose to enter creation, take on a body created and sustained by His power, live the powerful and purposeful sinless life, then willingly and freely died on a cross before taking up his life again, being resurrected on the third day so that he would be the firstborn among the dead, the first in rank, the first in honor among those to be saved. <clears throat> and all of this tells us so that in everything he might have supremacy that he would have first place in everything. First place in and over creation. First place and most preeminent place. The first and highest priority among his saints. And so people, when we proclaim the Lord, Christ as Lord over all, Lord over the church, we proclaim... Christ crucified. He gave Himself a ransom for many. And we proclaim His resurrection. We proclaim a living Christ. We proclaim a loving Christ. We proclaim a longing Christ. One who desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we proclaim our resurrection. We proclaim that because He was raised to life, we will be raised to life. Because He lives, we live. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. 2 Timothy, Timothy 3.11 tells us. 
But most of all, when we proclaim Christ as Lord, we proclaim Christ as sovereign, as supreme, as preeminent. We proclaim Christ as having the first place in everything, but also the first place in my life and in your life. When we proclaim Him as Lord, it means that He must enjoy first place in our affections and our devotions. He needs to be first in our marriage and in our family. He needs to be first in our work, in our mission, in our ministry. He needs to be first in the matters of our reasoning and in intellect, in time, in love, in conversation, in pleasure. He must be first. First in eating, first in play, first in sport, what we watch, what we do, how we do it. First in art, first in music, first in worship. In proclaiming Christ, we are admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom. Then we are proclaiming that Christ is first in our life. We proclaim to others, put Christ first. And so people, as we walk into 2023, let us stimulate, as Hebrews 10 will tell us, the uh, word can also be translated as provoke. Let us stir up one another. Let us ex urge, let us exhort, let us encourage one another to put Jesus in His place. In His rightful place. First place. First before all others. Let us proclaim Christ to be Lord over all. Lord over creation the heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, all the thrones, dominions, rulers and authorities, known and unknown. He made them all and it all belongs to Him. Let us proclaim His sovereignty over all. And let us proclaim Him as Lord over the church. He is the source of her life, her vitality, her growth. So when you doubt this year, turn to Him. Proclaim Christ to yourself. Let others proclaim Christ to you, that He is the author and perfecter of our faith. When you are dry, when God feels distant, far away, turn to Christ. Proclaim Christ to yourself. Let others proclaim Christ to you. For He is the living waters. He is the vine. Through Him comes the living sap of life that we need for a walk by faith. And so we exhort and encourage one another to look to Christ for our spiritual nourishment. And we look to Him as our supreme 
authority over all. We allow His Spirit to lead us. We allow His Word to govern us. We allow His love to compel us. For He died for us. And so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on our behalf. Let us proclaim Christ this year. Christ to all and all mature in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, <clears throat> Lord, thank you for allowing us these times, this, this, this moment. Thank you for bringing us to this word, your word, the word proclaiming Christ, the revealing of our Lord and our Savior, that he is Lord, that he is Lord of all, and that he is our Lord, my Lord. Help us, Lord, to make you known. Help us, Lord, to preach Christ to the lost and to the saved so that you will have first place in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.